As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, do you know which one of King Arthur's knights actually invented his round table? Mm. No. Circumference. <laughs> hey, he's back on track, yes. everybody. That was a good one. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Hey, I'm good, man. Good. I'm good. Good, good. to be back. Yep, I'm, I, you know, it was, it was one of those days. It's crazy day, crazy week, but like you've said before, getting back in the graveyard and getting in front of the mics kind of seems to, I don't know, normalize everything again. So, yeah. All right. So real quick, we want to say, go check out the Podbelly network at podbelly.com. You can find different shows to listen to, and you can find different tricks and tips on how to record your own podcast. And we're proud to be members of the Podbelly Network, and we, you know, we enjoy the company of the other shows there. Um, also, uh, want to thank tonight's sponsors, Shutter and Care of, and we will talk a little bit more about them here shortly. Go check out Patreon.com/slash/GraveyardTales uh, if you want to get a little more. Uh, graveyard tales a little more of matt and myself we've got a few different levels that you can sign up for patronage there and each one comes with a little bit different stuff everybody gets a we try to do a weekly episode bonus episode there for everybody so everybody gets that audio um, five and ten dollar members get the video version of that bonus episode and then ten dollar members get an ad free video version of the recording of this main channel episode every week so go check that out if 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 you're interested in seeing matt and i record the show and kind of how we uh, mess up sometimes and you know a lot yeah a lot um <laughs> we leave all that stuff in there um don't edit that out like we would on the audio version so if you're interested in that go to patreon.com slash graveyard tales 
All right, everybody. Now, if you love Graveyard Tales and you love what we're talking about and you're looking for another podcast to binge, let us tell you about Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. Now, do you believe in ghosts? How about Bigfoot? Do you think it's strange and fascinating that a four-year-old in Oklahoma could look at a black and white picture of a man from the 1930s and say, that was me before, and then provide actual verifiable details of the man's life? If so, Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan is about to be your new favorite podcast. Daisy is a Tony Award-winning actor, writer, and true crime fanatic, but she's also a skeptic. Each week, she looks at real stories of hauntings, disappearances, UFO encounters, the Bermuda Triangle, near-death experiences, and anything else that feels just beyond what we can easily make sense of. She is your guide to the inexplicable details of these stories. But she's also like, show me the receipts. So if you want to dive into the unexplained, check out Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. You can find Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan wherever you get your podcast. All right, Matt, I don't have anything else. Uh, I talked so much the last uh, intro of this show that I guess I, I blew the wad and I don't have anything for this week. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have any extra things to throw in tonight either, so why don't we get into what we're... Uh... We're discussing tonight. Those five people that complain about the length of our (laughs) intros will be happy with (laughs) this episode. This one, right? So, Matt, why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight? Okay, so tonight uh, we're going to travel to Germany, and we're going to discuss a place that is absolutely filled with legends and folklore, and even inspired a novel many people believe and we're Mm -hmm. going to talk about that too we're going to talk about frankenstein's castle uh it's frankenstein Ah, i knew it (laughs) i was like i knew it i didn't even have to tell him i had already thought about it and i knew he was going to do it (laughs) it's a great movie i couldn't help it it's the best i think it's the first mel brooks movie i ever watched really as a kid yeah i think my dad and i watched it and, yeah. and I thought this is hilarious. I love it. I'm actually about to show it to Michael um, here within the next week. I'm going to let him watch that one and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, oh yeah, yep. But you know, Frankenstein's Castle or or Castle Frankenstein, however you want to say it, 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 it is. Adam and I were discussing before the show. This may be one of the oldest places we have ever talked about. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, it's it's been around for centuries, and there is is so much folklore and and legend surrounding not just the castle but the forest uh, around it. It it's amazing, far beyond what you know the book covers. Right. I mean, you know, there's just there's so much more, um, and and so if if your only knowledge of Frankenstein's castle as, as, as a name is, is Mary Shelley's novel. Then you're in for a treat tonight because oh, yeah. we, we were able to unearth just an 
just unbelievable stories and legends, and we're we're gonna we're gonna share them with you tonight. Yep, I think you're gonna enjoy this one. I I definitely enjoyed the research uh, for this one. It was it was fun. So we need to first say um, that if if you're interested in this and you want to get a little bit more info on it, or you want to find out where we got our info, then go down to the bottom of the show notes and check out our sources. Um, every every bit of verbiage that we've put forward has uh, we have gotten from these sources. So go check them out down at the bottom of the show notes. But where is Frankenstein's castle? We got to figure out where it is first before we can talk about it. So Frankenstein Castle is a hilltop castle in the Odenwald overlooking the city of Darmstadt in Germany. Now, there's a lot of German words that I'm going to pronounce as as best I can, but it's going to be wrong. I guarantee it. (laughs) So just forgive me for that. This will be fun. Yep. Uh, uh, Just forgive my Texas tongue for that. So um, it is thought that this castle may have been an inspiration for Mary Shelley, who wrote her 1818 Gothic novel, Frankenstein, um, as we were talking about. And we will get into that a little more later. Um, But Frankenstein Castle is in southern Hesch, Germany, on the spurs of the Odenwald mountain range at an elevation of 370 meters or, or 1,210 feet close to the southern outskirts of Darmstadt. Um, it is one of many historic castles along the Hessian Bergstraub route, also famous for its vineyards and its mild climate, they say. there, There's a letter in that word that I've never seen before. It's Yep. It, you, you've actually got a special character in there. I do. Um, it's hard to find that in on the keyboard um, on a, a on a QWERTY keyboard. It's hard to find that. My keyboard doesn't speak German. No, no. Um, so let's look at Hesh Germany real quick. Now, um, officially, the state of Hessian uh, Hesh is a state of the Federal Republic of Germany. Now, its capital is Wiesbaden. And the largest urban area is Frankfurt, with an area of 21,000 square kilometers and a population of just over 6 million. It ranks 7th and 5th, respectively, among the 16 German states. Now, Frankfurt, Rhein, Maine, Germany's second largest metropolitan area, is mainly located in Hesch. So if you've been to Germany or you live in Germany, you know, Hesch is... Small, but it's there within the metropolitan area of Frankfurt. So that's kind of cool um, that it's amongst all that stuff. Now, the central Hessian region was inhabited in the upper Paleolithic. There were finds of tools in southern Hesse in uh, Ruselheim that suggest the presence of Pleistocene hunters about 13,000 years ago. A fossil hominid skull that was found in northern Hesh just outside the village of Runda has been dated at 12,000 years ago. And the Zuxian tomb in a prehistoric burial monument located between Lone and Zuxian near Fritzler, Hesh, Germany, classified as a gallery grave or a Hessian Westphalian stone um, like I said, a lot of these that I'm pronouncing wrong, I apologize. You're doing an amazing job. Well, thank you, sir. I just have to say. <laughs> um, it is one of the most important megalithic monuments in Central Europe, dating to uh, circa 3000 BC, they say, and it belongs to the late Neolithic Wartburg culture. So that's just 
I added some of this stuff just to show you how far back culture in this area goes. Um, we've got, you know, 3000 BC, there's people living in this Hesh area. Um, in the 12th century, Heshengal was um, passed to Thuring- Thuringia in the War of the Thuringian Succession. Hesh gained independence and became a Langravite with within the Holy Roman Empire. It shortly rose to primary importance under Langrave Philip the Magnanimous, who was one of the leaders of German Protestantism. So I, I couldn't get out Protestantism, but I got some of the other ones out. <laughs> what about Philip the Magnanimous? Yeah, that was actually my nickname in high school was Adam the Magnanimous. <laughs> Sounds like a professional wrestler. <laughs> yeah, it does. Next on stage, Philip the Magnanimous on SmackDown. Okay, so why is it called Frankenstein Castle? Uh, well, duh, because there was a big monster there. That's right. No. <laughs> um, Frankenstein is a German name consisting of two words. The Franks are a Germanic tribe, and Stein is the German word for stone. So accordingly, the meaning of Frankenstein is stone of the Franks. The word yeah. Stein is common in names of landscapes, places, and castles in Germany. Consequently, the term Frankenstein is a rather ordinary name for a castle in this region. So only to those of us who don't speak German or know the German area does Frankenstein only hold significance in, you know, the, the book from Mary Shelley. Right. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's it, it would be like if somebody wrote a novel called Texas, you know, uh, the Texas monster or whatever. And someone who didn't know anything about the U.S. saw that they would only think of the 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 name Texas in according in accordance with this monster. Yeah. So if a, if a German author wrote this novel, Texas, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, let's say. 200 years ago <laughs> yeah you know then you know that's the way it would be mm-hmm. <laughs> now texas monster yeah that was also my nickname and huh? no it wasn't <laughs> i said i set him up and he knocks him down folks that's why we work so well um now one legend says that lord conrad the second raise of Bruberg constructed the castle sometime around 1250. Now he christened the structure Frankenstein castle and afterward adopted the name von und zu Frankenstein um, as founder of the free imperial barony of Frankenstein. Lord Conrad helped power over Darmstadt, Ochstadt, Niederbierbach, and Wateroo and Hesch. Now, that's only one uh, theory on where where and when it was built, uh, because there's another one here, but it, it was so long ago that the records just don't hold um, that information. Yeah. Um, because this goes on to say that the castle was probably built a little before 1252, which is the year of the first historical record. Mm-hmm. So 1252, it was recorded there, and they figure that a little bit before that was when it was built. But 
the wording of the deed gave the impression that the castle was inhabited for quite some time before that. So it could yeah. be 1252. It could be 1250 um, from Lord Conrad, or it could be even further back. They're not 100% sure. Yeah, it's it's a good chance that the castle is, is older than that by a, a few years at least. Yeah. Um, and, you know, especially because castles were not built overnight. Right, right. I mean, they took they took years to construct. And oftentimes, you know, there were additions that were, you know, put on after the the main part of the castle was was completed mm-hmm. or even partially complete or at least livable. Um, there was continued construction. So a completed castle and, and sometimes they were never completed. I mean, you know, right. we've seen plenty of older castles that look like they just they just kept building and then they just stopped. Yeah. You know, yeah. it just, you know, well, the family died out or there was, you know, a, a large war that wiped out or, or the, the castle was taken over by a rival, you know, mm-hmm. tribe or clan or country or whatever. And any construction stopped. So it, it was almost like these are things that just are constantly being built. So, I mean, it could be a few years older than that. It could be 50 years older than that. You know, you really right. can't tell. But we know this. It's really old. Yeah, it's it's really really old. Um, now they do say that the the castle they're pretty sure remained in the Frankenstein family for around four hundred years, give or take some squabbles between two sides of the family. So it's like Matt just mentioned, it can change hands uh, depending on mm-hmm. the the ruling power at the time who conquered the area and all that. But they think it stayed in that family uh, for about four hundred years. Now, in the 17th century, it actually became barracks for retired soldiers. So when the soldiers retired, they moved there for a while. Now, Grand Duke Ludwig II of Hesh um, and uh, Hesh and by Rhine finally decided to rebuild Berg Frankenstein Castle in the 19th century. However, he did not follow exactly the old models. Like Matt was saying, they can add on to the castle. So the castle that you see today might look slightly different than the original castle. Um, you know, he added on towers and, and stuff that weren't in the original plans and made it, I guess, look a little more ornate. Yeah. Central heat and air and walk-in showers. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wish. I'm sure they wish, too. <laughs> Now, post-World War II, parts of the castle were used as an American army base. And this helps kind of partly explain some of the castle's popularity to visitors uh, from the U.S. So, you know, if, if your family members were there after World War II and knew that it was an army base, you may be inter- more interested in going and seeing it. You know, yeah. Now, this does say that unfortunately, the most impressive parts of the present day castle, the tall peaked towers, didn't ever exist in medieval times. So that's like the adding on of it. Those weren't there during the medieval, the medieval times of of people living there. That was added on later. So it wasn't quite as tall and imposing i guess back in the day but it was still a freaking castle on a hill that's right now it says these additions 
um, in the 1850s by romantic architects who wanted to exaggerate the cath- uh, castle's gothic gothic qualities. Why couldn't I say gothic? Um, the castle's gothic qualities. Um, so they say that you know the outward appearance is different, but much of the in uh, the inner ward of the castle, like the lower walls and stuff, are authentic, and you can still see the remains of the old drawbridge, which that's cool. Oh, yeah. And I imagine, you know, that was all done up in, you know, like pinks and reds and had a lot of hearts carved in it because these architects were so romantic. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know why they (laughs) called them romantics, but they did. It's all the the romance period of all the art and everything. So every, I mean, all of those periods influenced everything. Sure, sure. Not, Not just you know, the, the paintings, but the, the literature, the architecture, um, everything, you know, so it's, it's much like now, you know, it's, Hey, you know, subway tile on your kitchen backsplash, you know, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, now, you know, you can't buy a damn house without there being subway tile on the backsplash. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, well, this is the thing now, you know, this, it was the thing then, you know, yep. Every uh, you see every decade basically um, has its own thing that like for housing or whatever that it, it has its own thing that all houses have to have to be cool for that right. time. And then after a certain period of time, it kind of circles back and yeah. now everybody's doing it again to be, you know, uh, uh, not modern, but like the postmodernism with the classics mixed in and they throw in these weird, like you said, the subway tiles with their whole modern decor and they got a little bit of, Oh, we did this back in the seventies. So it's cool now, you know? And I love it. I love going into somebody's house and seeing that they, they, they kind of, they kind of got stuck in their decor Yeah, around like 1976. Yeah. And and, they got white carpet and, Shag white carpet, gold and glass furniture and and stuff. (laughs) And you're like, Hey, have you got a disco ball in the closet too? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Bead curtains. (laughs) Oh yeah. Bead curtains, incense burners. And, but yeah, you could, you could really, you could really see it in, in people's furniture. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially the folks that I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. This this goes on to say that the castle is perched upon a wooded hilltop around 400 meters above the surrounding Rhine Valley. Now, it's surrounded by um, a deciduous woodland on the mountain range that's called Odenwald. There's a modern restaurant, which this says it's a bit of an architectural nightmare. And I thought that was interesting. Um, because th- this is from a, uh, a page, uh, exploring castles. So they have their, their own take on, you know, it, it's, it's detracting from the castle having this, uh, um, okay. this I restaurant maybe you'd there. be eating and you might fall through the floor. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, they're saying it's detracting from the original castle and, uh, and yeah. the, the look of the castle. Um, you know, it's, it's like an in and out burger sitting in front of Frankenstein's castle. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that if that's the case. Um, 
But they say that uh, eating here does afford good views across the surrounding countryside. So that's worth it if you want to go have dinner and, you know, get a good view of the countryside. Now, we need to look at someone who is rumored to have lived there. Um, And this is from one of my favorite websites, Atlas Obscura. Now, Johann Conrad Dippel was rumored to uh, to live there and to create potions, perform electrical therapies, and partake in gruesome experiments involving stolen body parts from the graveyard. What's that sound like to you? Mm-hmm. Now, born in Castle Frankenstein, uh, in German, it's Berg Frankenstein, in 1673, he was a natural loner and he busied himself um, with studying science um, alongside theology, alchemy, and mysticism, and it's disputed whether or not he was the inspiration for Mary Shelley's Mad Scientist, which Matt will get into here uh, a little more in a bit. Um, but what is sure about Dipple is his colorful career as an alchemist. He attached his name to Dipple's animal oil, which he discovered from the destructive distillation of animal animal parts and claimed as a universal medicine. So we've talked about stuff like that before with, um, you know, the snake oil. Snake oil is called snake oil because it originally was oil from a snake, you know. And then we say snake oil salesman to mean an unscrupulous person selling you stuff. Yeah, and and Dipple's oil was, I guess, I guess marketed would be a good way to put this, as like a, an elixir of life. Yeah, you know, so it it would cure all that ails you, and it 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 made uh it made dipple quite a bit of money right right um and in fact it made him so much money that he actually tried to use the proceeds from the animal oil to buy castle frankenstein oh wow um but they, they did they wouldn't sell it to him <laughs> right he didn't make that much money <laughs> oh they're kind of like it's not for sale yeah. How about all of this? It's not for sale. <laughs> right, right. It's been in our family for 400 years. It's not for sale. Yeah, we're not <laughs> selling it for the last time. Take your animal oil and get out. Um, well, the animal oil came at the end of a wave of popularity for latrochemistry, um, which had moved alchemy from the search for creating gold to finding new medicines. So I guess that's a good that's a good change. Find new medicines rather than trying to make gold out of a tin can. Um, don't guess they had tin cans back then, but you get my point. <laughs> but it was the it was the predecessor of the modern day tin can. Right, right, right. <laughs> they they uh, an alchemist actually created the tin can. Um, they were trying to make gold, and yeah. somehow they just there's a tin can, and now we we have tin cans. You know. Yeah. Alchemy is a very unique course to look into. I mm-hmm. mean, it it is. I mean, uh, understandably, they they knew enough to believe that it could be done. You know, of course, you know now, you know, modern science says, yeah, this was, you know, uh, th- this was a, a fool's journey, bunk and hokum, as the old timers used yeah. to say. But as Adam said. It did lead to a lot of other courses of study and influenced, you know, you know, other fields 
because it prompted investigation and learning. Right. And so so I can't turn, you know, lead into gold. But look look what I figured out I can do. Right. And I made and there this arthritis cream that came out of that. Yeah. Um, and what came out of it, too, was the um, cell phone app Little Alchemy, um, which you can still study <laughs> alchemy if you get that app. Um, oh, my God. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> it's it's still on my phone, and I'll pick it up occasionally and start putting stuff together, trying to make, you know. All right. Now, let's talk, stop talking about phone apps and get on with it. Now, the animal oil, like I said, um, it it came at kind of the end of this wave, and, and it had this really unpleasant taste and smell, as well as the progression of, you know, other medicines. It ended up making Dipple's oil fall into disrepute by the end of the 18th century. So it, it, it had its heyday, but because they found some other stuff, they said, you know what, this Dipple's oil... That's some crap. Let's not. Yeah, it ain't doing you know, nothing. It's not worth it trying to suck down this medicine that tastes like donkey butt, which it probably <laughs> was made from donkey butt. So let's not take that. That's right. Now, Dipple made some impressive contributions to science, um, as well as his other craziness, um, including helping discover the dye Prussian blue, which mm-hmm. is still used in modern day textile production. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's still a. Um, was for a very long time a highly prized color, that yes. Prussian blue. Um, and it is a pretty blue. If you find stuff that's actually Prussian blue, I like that color. Yeah, and it's it it's used in, in uh, a lot of paint. Um, mm-hmm. and, and some of you may remember this. I don't know if everybody will. But the show, what is The Joy of Painting, that was the name of Bob Ross's show. Yeah. Okay. That show existed before Bob Ross. Okay, there was another created that, right? (laughs) There was another guy that hosted that show, the same format, you know, painting a picture, giving you some tips on how to do it and talking your way through it. But it was this older fellow with a kind of a weird accent and he loved Prussian blue. Oh, yeah. And he would all the time go. And we'll add a little Prussian blue, little Prussian blue. Yeah. And I remember, I remember watching as a kid, I was fascinated, but I always remember Prussian blue. And yeah. So if any of you folks that watch that, if you're my age or older, you may remember that guy that, you know, Bob Ross was the one that became really popular, mm-hmm. um, but this guy was there first. <laughs> so I think Bob I love Ross Bob got Ross. a shot because this guy died. Yeah, maybe. Now, um, like other alchemists of his time, Dipple was fixated with the human soul. Now, he documented many experiments of, quote, soul transference. We're trying to swap the soul of one dead animal into a living one. Now, it was actually one of his less ghoulish experiments on living creatures, believe it or not. Um, He also believed that his potions could be used to exercise demons. Um, And that the soul of one human being could be poured into another. Yes, poured, quite literally, with a (laughs) funnel, a hose, and lubricant. Can you imagine this process? (laughs) My question is... I'm not not even touching this. (laughs) Where where does the soul exit from? 
And where does it enter from? Is it like, you know, we were talking about astral projection. Does the soul come out of the astral hole and then go into something else? Or what is it? Yeah. I'm, 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 I, I can't. I got all, all the jokes I have in my head. I can't say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I keep, keep coming up. I'm waiting for a clean one to come up and it won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated with this, though. I, I really want to know how the lubricant comes into play. Well, you know, you got to grease it up. I guess so. Grease it's your not, soul. It's not, it's not coming out without a little bit of grease. Right. That's true. That's true. Lubricant makes things more pliable. All right. Let's move on. Now, it's from this point in Dipple's life that it's difficult to separate fact from fiction. Now, according to the stories, Dipple was so obsessed with anatomy that he began to dissect human corpses instead of animals' bodies. So that's quite a leap for someone. Now, of course, there are hundreds of stories of rogue doctors cutting up bodies over the years, but apparently Dipple had a particular uh, penchant for exhuming the dead after dark from local graveyards. If I catch him in my graveyard, we're going to have problems. That's right. Now, it's said that he believed the recent dead still had some soul intact in the body. So it was also said that Dipple had a particular obsession with reanimating the dead. Boiling human remains to create an elixir of life. After all, he'd achieved success with his animal elixir, right? Yeah, why not? So let's boil people. Now, finally, most gruesomely of all, but like this says, most likely it's just hearsay. It was said he transferred hearts and eyes between dead bodies as part of his experiments in transferring human souls. This says true. Probably not. And there's no substance to the rumor that local villagers expelled Dipple on account of his experiments. However, more plausible modern theorists do believe that other contemporaneous scientists, jealous of Dipple's success with Prussian Blue, sought to smear him with these fanciful tales and gruesome stories of his dirty work. Well, Dipple later helped to set up a laboratory in Berlin for making gold, and at one point, he ended up in prison on a Danish island for several years due to political activities. Now, in 1734, he finally had a stroke and died at the Castle Wittgenstein near Burlberg. And this was just one year after publishing a claim that he would live to be 135 years old. <laughs> he missed it by that much. Yeah. Never put something out that says you're going to live to a certain time because the universe will have a way to go. That's you're wrong. exactly right. Now, this is although his friends claimed he was poisoned instead of having a stroke. Yeah. Now, they say by his own hand or another person, it's actually unclear. Um, now, the castle ruin itself nowadays is open all year round from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. So you can go check it out all year round, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Um, there's a restaurant that we mentioned um, there in the castle that offers medieval or haunted dinners, not only at Halloween. So that would be cool. Have a haunted yeah. dinner or even a medieval dinner would be cool. Um, now this says that opening times, uh, March to December, uh, from 11 AM to 10 PM for this restaurant. So, I mean, if you want to, if you're in the area, go check it out, please send us some pictures. Yeah. Um, you can also, if you're there, you can also get married in the chapel at Berg Frankenstein. So wouldn't that be fun? Matt and I 
uh, discussed that before we got started. Wouldn't that be interesting to say um, that you got married at Frankenstein's Castle? That's right. Hey, and you know, if if this restaurant doesn't have a hot dog called a Frankenfurter, they have <laughs> they have completely missed the boat. <laughs> they, yep, they have missed the mark, and and they should <laughs> they should be reprimanded for that. Ah. Uh. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so, um, you know, as Adam mentioned, it's it, it's suggested that Dipple was the inspiration for Mary Shelley's Victor Frankenstein, uh, in in her novel, which uh, was written, I believe she started in eighteen fourteen. Mm-hmm. Now, you've heard all the connections. <laughs> All the things that Dipple was rumored to have done, right, and what he was working at, and yet it's just suggested that he may have been the inspiration for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Maybe I mean you know we don't know, but maybe I mean okay, Uh, you know, but but let's let's look look a little closer at it. Chances are uh, probably good. The you chances know? are really good. the 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 problem is, is that there there's no mention of him or or Castle Frankenstein in any of her notes that she used to construct the novel. It doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Now, um, there there's there's no like I said, there's no mention of the castle, no mention of Dipple. But it was known that in 1814, just prior to writing the novel, Mary Shelley took a journey on the Rhine River, and she spent a few hours in the town of Gernsheim, which is located about 10 miles away from the castle. So she was extremely close to the castle. And you got to think, if she's in a town, even for a few hours, that's only 10 miles away from this castle, she's bound to have come across somebody mentioning it or talking about it i mean heck you could probably have bought little castle frankenstein christmas <laughs> ornaments and all kinds of stuff all right you know, so she with she dipple's face knew on it about it um and 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 there's a lot of non-fiction books about mary shelley's life that also mention dipple as a possible influence um but there's more than that. There's even more connections. So, as Adam said, it was rumored that he dug up bodies and performed medical experiments on them at the castle. Um, and, and, you know, when Adam said that the the theories behind his death are a little different because of this, it was 
it was said that a local cleric warned the parish that Dipple had created a monster that he brought to life by a bolt of lightning. Now, interestingly enough, the the lightning that they used to bring Frankenstein's monster to life, that is, that is a reference to the 1931 film. It's not in the novel. Okay. Yeah. Mary Shelley does not use the lightning as the way to bring the monster to, to life. You know, that's from the movie, but you know, would the, would the movie have drawn the inspiration from the legend that this is what Dipple did. Now there are locals who still claim today that this actually happened. And that this tale was told to Mary Shelley's stepmother by the Brothers Grimm. Now, interestingly enough, Mary Shelley's stepmother was the person that translated the Grimm stories from German to English. So it, the connection, man, I can't get over this. The, I, the connection. I know. I know. So how interesting is that, that Mary Shelley's stepmother was the translator for the Brothers Grimm? And so you see now, it's it seems to be very obvious, plus the fact that she used the name Frankenstein. Right. <laughs> you know, well, why, why choose that, you know? Right. If, well, if and I, I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, nowadays, when you, you talk about Oh, there's a connection between this author and another author. You're like, wow, how is that? You know, we they live so far apart or whatever. But then, you know, if you're talking about famous authors that got famous around the same time from about the same area, it's you're bound to know each other. Exactly. You know, stories are bound to change hands. And you may have heard this story from somebody else. And they didn't write it down, and you wrote it down and made, you know, got famous from it. So, and you know, we know that, you know, even during these times, you know, authors, artists, you know, they, uh, they plagiarize stuff. They plagiarize stuff, you know, (laughs) but they, they often collaborated and communicated because these were their contemporaries. Right. I mean, they, you know, they, they weren't in competition. You know, they were a part of, you know, the 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 new rise of culture. Right. Um, and like uh, the stories about Mary Shelley, um, it, it, they kind of point to that a lot, too, because apparently her and her fiance and some other people were snowed in or something like that. They, they couldn't go do something because of the weather. And so they spent days sitting around telling each other ghost stories, trying to scare each other. Yeah. And her husband was a poet and. You know, so they all kind of congregated together and they would, like you said, share stories. Mm-hmm. And proof of that is in that that legend of that may be where she came up with Frankenstein was to tell during one of those ghost story times. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So as I mentioned earlier, there are tons of legends surrounding the castle and, and, and the forest. Uh, but one of the most famous is a legend about Lord George and the dragon. And this was written out by August Nod- Nodnagal. <laughs> um, 
Well played. Who <laughs> who lived from 1803 to 1853. Now, it was said long ago, a, a dangerous lindworm, uh, which was a type of reptile or, or a reptile-like creature akin to a dragon. Right. L- lived in the garden near the well at Castle Frankenstein. Now, the peasants of a neighboring village, they they were really afraid of this thing because apparently not only was it, you know, very vicious, it would hunt people that wandered into the forest after dark. And it would consume them, but it also had a tail that was venomous. Hmm. And so the, these peasants were, were terrified. Now, it's said that the dragon would creep in at night and eat villagers and their children in their sleep. Now, one day, a knight by the name of Lord George rode into town. With the town folk being desperate, you know, they were looking for a brave knight to give them some hope. But so the best they, they could get was Lord George. <laughs> that's it. Lord George. <laughs> but so they just, they, they just tell him everything. This is so awful. We live in fear. We're all going to die. And Lord George says, I, I got this. Okay. So the next day he puts on his armor and he goes up to the castle. He goes into the garden and straight to the well where the dragging where dragon was resting. Now, it said that Lord George got off his horse and attacked the dragon, and the dragon fought back, puffed and spewed fire, and hours went on as these two battled. But finally, just as Lord George was about to drop from exhaustion, he plunged his sword into the underbelly of the dragon and was victorious. It's always the underbelly. That's the weak spot. That's right. But as the dragon struggled... It coiled its tail with the poisonous spine around the knight's belly and stung him. Mm. So Lord George and the dragon both died. Now, the villagers were so happy that the dragon was gone that they, they didn't wanted, care that he was dead. They didn't care. Oh. But they they wanted to at least give him a proper burial. <laughs> uh, they wanted to honor him. And so they brought him to the church of Niederbierbach in the valley on the east side of the castle, and they gave him a a marvelous tomb. And to this day, you can still visit and pay your respects to Lord George, the knight who slew the dragon in the 1200s. That's cool. It's a great great story, a a really good legend, all surrounding that castle and the forest. Right, right. And, and, you know, and, and, and Lord George's tomb, you know, it's just amazing. There's so much to see. When you visit here, the Fountain of Youth, there is hidden behind the herb garden of the castle, a Fountain of Youth. And legend is that in the first- I need to make a trip. (laughs) You and me both, brother. (laughs) This is, I'm getting more gray hair in this beard as every day. (laughs) But but the legend says that in the first full moon, uh, night after Walpurgis night, an old women from the nearby villages would have to undergo tests of courage. And the one who succeeded became rejuvenated to the age she had been on the night of her wedding. Um, so this is a very common place for 
they say new brides uh, to visit or or maybe they'll visit just before, you know, their wedding day. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting. Now, outside there's, of legend. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm just going to say there's not many places around that you hear the legend of a fountain of youth or something like that. You know, you would think they're always searching for one. You would think people would say, well, there's one here and there's one here and that everywhere there's a fountain of youth. But I've only heard about a couple, you know, that say apparently this is a fountain of youth. Yeah. So outside of the legends, there there are some actual uh, weird phenomena that happen in and around the castle. Now, in a remote part of the forest behind Frankenstein Castle, on the 417-meter-high Mount Ilbis, the, the stone that makes up the mountain is, is magnetic, naturally. So compasses don't work. Um, certain electronic equipment will malfunction, because of the magnetic field that this stone creates. Not necessarily paranormal. It's a natural yeah. phenomenon. But like they theorize in um, uh, uh, the Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So. Now, local nature enthusiasts and witchcraft practitioners are said to perform rituals at these magnetic places on special occasions like Walpurgis Night, Samhain, or the Summer Solstice. Now, the magnetic stones can be visited by everyone, but it is actually advised not to disturb ongoing ritual activities at at any cost. Just Hmm. don't do it. And so it's recommended that you avoid visiting the forest on Samhain or the solstice or Walpurgis night because these are the most common times for these rituals. Right. Right. And that is, according to um, one of the videos I watched doing research, that still goes on today. Hmm. And so he uh, he had filmed his hike into the forest or the uh, Oldenwald. Um, and he said he made sure in advance to not visit during these times so that he he wouldn't have to worry about interrupting in any of these rituals that's smart yeah thinking Um, ahead that way i mean you you think about it i mean you come up somebody's doing a ritual or something and you walk in hey what's everybody doing yeah what's that guy doing over there yeah he looks (laughs) silly dancing like that that goat yeah right (laughs) i think just for your own safety you shouldn't probably interrupt rituals (laughs) it's a good idea you know it's just you know it's a psa from graveyard tales don't interrupt <laughs> rituals like this. If you see people in the woods dancing, singing around a fire, yeah, don't interrupt them. Don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, if if for no other reason than it's just rude, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but legend has it that Mount Ilbis is the second most important meeting place for witches in Germany, uh, just behind Mount Brocken in the Harz. So. Interestingly enough, the monuments that are inside the chapel of Castle Frankenstein are made from two types of stone, one being the magnetic stone that's found in the forest. So this causes 
the strange magnetic phenomena that occurs in the forest to carry over into the castle itself. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah, and the chapel seems to be the core of the paranormal activity that happens inside the castle walls. Uh, Spirits have reportedly been seen inside the chapel, believed to be attracted by the unique energy of the magnetic stones. Now, during an episode of Ghost Hunters International, a recorded sound was identified as a phrase in Old German that means Arbo is here, which was interpreted as Arbo meaning Arbogast, which was the name of a knight from the castle, uh, seemingly to announce his presence and his claim over the land. Now, a second sound bite was also recorded, and it was in Old German, but interpreted to be come here. Mm. Now, their final conclusion um, was that there, there was quite a bit of paranormal activity going on inside Frankenstein's castle. Now, again, Adam... Adam and I talk a lot about these shows and you you have to take a what what they put out with a grain of salt but you know of all the ones that I've watched the, the Ghost Hunters International that show is actually pretty good they they don't seem to uh what's the term they they, they don't get over excited about very little things you yeah. know they get excited um you know, they, they share what evidence they find, but they, they don't make mountains out of molehills. Right. So right. I, you know, I, I tend to, I tend to enjoy watching that show a little bit more than some of the others that we've discussed. Um, but if you can go and actually listen, uh, to the recordings of what they got. And I mean, you can, you can hear it pretty, pretty plainly. Now it's in German, um, but you can hear it. Yeah. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about one of our longtime sponsors, Shudder. Now, Shudder is the streaming service with the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movies, series, and originals from Hollywood favorites and cult classics to original series and critically acclaimed new genre films that you won't find anywhere else. They stream uncut and commercial-free right to your favorite devices. Now, this April... Shudder is celebrating halfway to Halloween because Halloween is too much fun to celebrate just once a year. I mean, it's my favorite holiday, so I love this halfway to Halloween thing. This is great. I can't believe we're already halfway to Halloween. I know. It's crazy. But, I mean, it's a good way to celebrate. Um, It's Shudder's biggest month of programming ever. And one of the biggest shows coming in April is the new season of Creep Show. Now, Creep Show is a Shudder original series from showrunner Greg Nicotero, FX legend and executive producer on The Walking Dead, based on George Romero's 1980s horror anthology film. In season one of the most watched series in Shudder's history is now. And now they're back with nine nightmarish new tales that live up to the Creep Show tagline, the most fun you'll ever have being scared. Among this season's many, many guest stars are horror royalty like Keith David, Barbara Crampton, Ashley Lawrence, and Ted Raimi. New episodes hit Shudder every Thursday in April. Yes, you can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for only $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. That is a fantastic value for what you get. 
Shutter it's great. Shutter has the largest, fastest growing human curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. It truly is the Netflix for horror. You know, there are new supernatural terrors, edge of receipt thrillers, and shocking horrors added every week. And you can stream Shutter on all of your favorite devices iPhones, iPads, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Roku, Android devices, and more. Now, Amanda and I really love the show Discovery of Witches, based on the novels by Deborah Harkness. Look, if you enjoy vampires, uh, witches, demons, and all the history behind that, wrapped up in a a not uh, typical romance story, you're going to dig it. I promise you will. And you, oh, can, yeah. you can only check it out on Shudder. So, for Graveyard Tales listeners, you can try Shudder free for 30 days and catch the all-new season of Creep Show. All you have to do is go to Shudder.com and use the promo code GRAVE. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use our promo code GRAVE. G-R-A-V-E. That's right. If you want to check out some of these new shows that are coming out or some old classics like Matt and I like, then you can do it for free for 30 days. All you got to do is go to Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. Okay, so so we mentioned the paranormal activity. Let's talk a little bit about the ghosts uh, that have been reported around Frankenstein's castle. Now, in the 1600s, the last of the original Frankenstein family died in a chariot accident on his way to visit his true love, Anne Marie. Wow, that's got to suck. It's got to suck. He died instantly and never actually made it to see Anne Marie again. Now, she waited and waited for him to show and eventually as the story goes she died from a broken heart now today uh her spirit has been seen in the castle apparently still waiting for him to show up hmm now both the ghosts of knight frankenstein and anna marie uh are seen in the castle um and oftentimes they appear to be looking for one another just roaming the castle grounds in the darkness now, other visitors have claimed to have seen Conrad Dipple's spirit either hunched over as if studying in his laboratory or roaming about the castle grounds in search of graves to rob for his experiments. <laughs> but many locals have passed stories along by ancestors that the devil has a notable presence in the forest surrounding the castle. Now, even today, visitors will describe an odd feeling while in the forest, sometimes uneasy like the sensation that you're being watched or followed, but it has also been described as like company, as if the woodland spirits are there watching over you. And that and might be interesting. It, it like is that. interesting. And, and one thing I, I did find was, you know, I talking about the subject of nature spirits. There are many legends that include the existence of gnomes, trolls, 
unicorns, and fairy-like entities that roam the woods, hmm. as well as the vicious lindworm that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, you so know, it's still alive. So, that yeah, it was just tons of mythical creatures come out of these legends. But as I was telling Adam earlier, um, the, the history uh, of this area it, it it was passed down from generation to generation. And not only is it just anecdotal stories that, you know, one grandmother told to the next grandmother and all this other thing, they were, they were written down. And so these family histories tend to be fairly accurate. And, right. you know, the stories of these unique white horse-like animals with horns, you know, that were seen in the woods, you know, make you think, okay, were there, were there really unicorns at one time that were roaming the, the Oldenwald, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, fair, fairy like entities or even elementals, um, that, that govern and watch over the woods, uh, are also very common in these, in these historical folk tales. Yeah. That's so cool. And, and and the most interesting I thought from from this particular person that that I read was that because these family histories tend to be accurate, they also include things about Dipple and his work. So even though there's not a lot of fact based evidence that says that Dipple actually performed any of these experiments. There is a lot of this family history that says that it indeed happened. Now, right. not only that, there are still locals that believe the story that Dipple did actually do this and created some type of monster. So as I was telling Adam, you know, there's always some fact that is found inside these these family histories. Sure. You know, they're they're never just completely fabricated. Um, so it, it sounds like there was obviously something that went on that was, you know, maybe very mysterious, maybe very nefarious, uh, mm -hmm. while Dipple was living in the castle, um, that that led to these these stories being passed along for, you know, decades and decades you know, from one family member to another. But it all goes back to just how rich of a history this castle actually has. Right. Far, again, like I said, far beyond what the the novel included. Um, you know, so it's it's just, just an amazing area, not just the castle itself, but you know, the forest that surrounds it is just it, it's just full of just incredible things um, that I, I know I, I've never been to Germany. I've always wanted to go. And of course, with a last name like Rudolph, you know, I've 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 got to go at some point <laughs> with with my German heritage. Yeah. You know, I, I you know, my my family tree has actually been traced back to Germany. And I always right. felt like at some point before I die, I need to go there. Yeah, um, you need to. This this would be this would be on my list of places to go. Um, I may have know. to jump in your luggage when you go <laughs> and just. But but of course, Munich for Oktoberfest is like top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> oh sure, 
I've always wanted to go for that. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, you know, Germany has such a rich history and culture um, that, you know, just, just to visit that country would, you know, would really mean a lot to me. Um, but to be able to go somewhere like Castle Frankenstein, um, you know, pretty incredible. But, yeah. uh, you know, as, as Adam said, you know, this research was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I, I just barely scratched the surface on the legends uh, that have come out of this area. And, and if you're interested, you know, go check them out. I mean, they, you know, you don't have to read them as they're factual, but I mean, they are fantastic stories. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, with, with Lord George and the Dragon being the most common, but so many. I mean, just so many. And then, you know, the so many of the Brothers Grimm fairy tales coming out of this region as well. Um, you know, it, it just, it, it, it means so much to the, the history of that, that area. When it begs the question, with all that stuff coming out of the same area at about the same time, was there something going on then or in the, the recent past that spawned these stories of, you know, the Fae and, and monsters and, and, you know, people like Dipple and these experiments, was there something really going on? Cause like you said, within legends, there's always a grain of truth somewhere. So the question then is how big is that grain of truth? Is it, just a tiny little thing, or was there some weird stuff happening? Yeah, I, absolutely. And, you know, I, I always like to believe that, you know, every piece of folklore, you know, has an underlying truth to it. You know, mm -hmm. e even if it's even if it's just, you know, well-aimed well advice, you know, yeah. learn, learn from this story. You know, there was something that inspired it. And you know with the magnetic phenomena that occurs you know in the forest and with the stones that exist inside the castle bringing that inside if dipple truly was performing these type of experiments he couldn't have picked a better place no kidding yeah you know the the energy there if 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 he was going to be able to accomplish something like this most likely it would have been there I mean that that would have been that would have been the place, right? We talk about um, you know the nature of moving water, um, holding energy and creating energy for spirits, and and we talk about the different stones of an area that might enhance the psychic ability of an area or the or the ability to store the memory of things. If a place is going to do it, places like this with that magnetic rock underneath the soil and underneath the castle. It, I mean, like you said, there couldn't be a better place mm -mm. to have something weird going on. And if there is a better place, we'll research it we'll, eventually, we'll but find it. we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you guys think? We, we hope you enjoyed, you know, us sharing this information about a place that you, you probably have heard of, but, maybe didn't know all the background of it um you know it, it's it, you know the forest the castle itself said to be haunted so many strange phenomena and such a rich history what do you think do, do, do you think a lot of this happened do you think these legends have a little bit of truth underneath them you know do, do you feel like that all of this energy has 
managed to hold on to the spirits of the Frankenstein family that that lived there. Uh, let us know. Uh, let us know what you think. And if, if you've got stories, um, you know, about this area, certainly if you're from this area, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. Um, over 5,000 members strong. Uh, we see uh, new things shared every day. It's one of the most active groups I've ever been a part of. It's, um, oh, it's yeah. amazing. And one of the nicest groups. One of the nicest. And it's always a safe place to share you know, your personal experiences or theories or ideas. Um, no one's going to make fun of you, call you a nut job or anything like that. Uh, everybody's just going to be, you know, very accepting and, and willing to help and listen. Right. Um, but you can also find us on other social media, Instagram and Twitter. Just go and search Graveyard Tales. And then you can run over to our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can listen to the show. You can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. Uh, find out a little bit more about Adam and myself, and you can become a patron. And we always like to take time and thank you so much for your donations to the show. Oh, it, yeah. It really helps Adam and I continue to produce good content for you guys. Uh, and and we just we can't say thank you enough uh, how much it means that you would uh, take your hard-earned money and, and donate it to the show. Oh, absolutely. So uh, I think that's all I've got. That's all I got. So until next time. We'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.